for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Well, um, it's good to be back. There's a song in that somewhere, I think. Um, Sue sends her love and apologies. She's not well. She's had a very bad chest infection, but she's on the mend now, so she should be back by the end of the week. But please pray for her. Um, so it's, um, I love my wife. And I miss her when she's not around with me. Um, I asked Sue, this, you know, she asked me this morning, she says, what are you preaching on today? And um, I, I said, the, the, the topic is, why pray for your neighbours? And she said, why not? And I think, okay, that's it, so I can sit down now, because um, she said it in a nutshell, why not pray for your neighbour? If you have a Bible or you've got a Bible app, if you could turn um, and put your finger in 2 Corinthians 5, 11 to 20, because I shall be using that as a basis for going through what I want to talk about today. Corinth, it was in, in Greece and it was a big city. It was a cosmopolitan city and, and Paul was uh, establishing a church there. And uh, what, he, what I'm going to look at and impact today is how the church there reach their neighbours for Christ. Okay? Because we can learn from that. So Corinth, it had many different nationalities in it because it, there was a, it was positioned with two seaports. I won't go into all the ge- geography of it, but they had two seaports within um, very near the city. There were lots of new homes being erected, not unlike Ashford, because it was a place to be. There was a lot of money to be made in Corinth. In actual fact, there was a um, there's a, it was far easier for slaves in the Roman Empire to earn their freedom and purchase their freedom than any other city because there was so much going on. It was a very entrepreneurial city. So, you know, there's a lot of dosh there to be, to be had. And the Greeks had it all covered, okay? They had a god for almost every aspect of life. Um, has anybody got Nike shoes on this morning? Can you wave? Okay, um, you need to repent of that. No, not really. Uh, (laughs) Nike was a goddess of speed and strength. The actual Nike symbol is, uh, if you were to go to Ephesus, you'll see the um, shrine to Nike uh, Nike there, and you can see the the little logo. And uh, the reason it's interesting for us, because at Corinth, there was a huge international athletic festival, the Isthmus Games, and it was held there every two years. Can you imagine like the Olympics being held in your city every two years? They were sports mad. And in case you weren't sporty, living in Corinth, you could always worship Demeter. That's another goddess. She was a goddess of harvest, making money, increasing produce. As I said earlier, slaves could buy their freedom far more easier in Corinth than any other place in the Roman Empire. Or if, if neither sports nor growing veg or business flipped your switch, you could worship the god of speed and fishing. The Greek, in, the Greek god Poseidon in, is pictured in Greek art of riding a chariot that was pulled by lots of horses that could drive through the sea. With dolphins and a three-pronged fish spears. They, they were... They were just mad on their gods. They had their own god for everything. So whether you're sporty, whether you're into making lots of money, whether you're into fishing or gardening, 
they had a God for it. And if none of that floated your boat, there was all, all, always Aphrodite. You've all heard of Aphrodite, but she was an ancient god, goddess associated with love, beauty, pleasure, passion and procreation. The temple of Aphrodite with its culture of promiscuity was one of the central places for worship there. So they had gods for every aspect of life at which they would worship. Now, sport's not a, a god, but if it becomes a sole passion and takes the place of God in your life, it becomes a god. You got that, idol? It becomes a god. I, was, I got into racing, cycling. It became a god to me, and I got filled with the Holy Spirit, and God said, I want it. And, he, and I said, well, you, you better have it. And I gave, gave it all up, and I got more back. And I gave him a best racing cycle away. It was worth a lot of money. And I gave it away to somebody and he came round my front, to my front door and he said, look, I've repainted it for you. And he's painted it with Dulux paint and it was all dripping. And I'm thinking, no! And at that moment God put a sword through that little God that I had. Because it wasn't a God really. But what a place for, for Paul to share the gospel. Because there was a lot of competitors. A lot of competition going on. So Paul had a challenge to motivate this small group of Christians to expand and express the gospel. And it starts with your neighbour. God said, love your neighbour as yourself. It starts with our neighbours. Yeah, now we've got the story about the Good Samaritan, that everybody's our neighbours in need, but we do have neighbours. <laughs> Don't forget your neighbours. I don't know what you think of your neighbours and how you define them. And most probably you do. I'd like to show an advert now if we can get it working. Can't we turn the um, lights down? Here we go. I just love that. I find it very insightful because it shows that often people define their neighbours by the car they drive. It's true, isn't it? Come on, put your hands up. Does anybody define their neighbours by the... Has anybody ever had a thought about, God, you're so spiritual, but I'm going to put my, put my hands up for both of you, okay? <laughs> Thank you, I've got, I've got somebody being honest over there. Often people define neighbours by the car they drive. And I want to... What I like about that advert, it's that car owners, if you've got a new car... You still get stressed. Having a new car doesn't actually change you on the inside, does it? No, it doesn't. Possessions do not bring that inner peace. And we need to remember that in our culture because we are a possession-focused culture. Your neighbours most probably will be a possession-focused, have, have a mindset for that. And it's no different then to it is now. It's just the, the wrapping has changed. In Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9, the writer said this, What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Same gods then, same gods now, just different names. We have to understand the culture we are living in. We are, there's a spiritual element to our culture, it's called materialism. Yeah. And it's there. And the spiritual force is behind strong materialism. 
that can hold people captive. And when does a thing become an idol? That's the challenge. When it becomes the focus of our worship. And that can be true for Christians as well. We can take our eyes off the presence of God. When Moses went up to the mountain to to spend time with God and the people were looking at the presence coming down on the mountain, then it went on and on and Moses didn't come back down. And in the meantime, Aaron, of all people, he gathered the gold and and he formed it into a golden calf because they lost sight of it. They made gold, they turned gold into an idol. And that's a salutary point for us as well we can do that and and God had to send Moses down to rectify their attitude so how could the church at Corinth reach their neighbours with all these gods pressing in and offering so much but delivering so little well in 1 Corinthians 8 5 to 6 Paul reminded them by saying some people say quite rightly this is from the message translation that idols have no actual existence that there's nothing to them that there is no God other than our one God that no matter how many of these so-called gods are named and worshipped they still don't add up to anything that's Paul saying it, it, it doesn't work it doesn't work but then in 2 Corinthians 5, 11 to 20, I want to start um, pointing some verses out to you in this. And he goes on, as pe- so he's now writing to the church at Corinth, this young church. And he says, as people who know what it means to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. Clearly, Christ's love guides us. We are convinced of the fact that one man has died for all people. God has done this. God has restored our relationship with him through Christ and has given us the ministry of restoring relationships, Corinth's church. In other words, God was using Christ to restore his relationship with humanity. He didn't hold people's faults against them. Do you hold faults against them he has given us this message of restored relationships to tell others in another translation he says he gives he's given us the ministry of reconciliation you he has given you the ministry of reconciliation to those around you therefore we are Christ's representatives And through us, God is calling you. Okay, so that is your role. That is your high calling, that you are Christ's reps where you live, in Christchurch Road. I remember every time I used to live in Christchurch Road, I'd turn into Christchurch Road and I'd say, this is for Christ and the church. Every day, I would say that as my prayer. Then he goes on, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. That's Paul the Apostle saying that. Who'd, been, who'd had an out-of-body experience, um, clearly was speaking about himself when he said, I knew a man who was taken up to the third heaven. But he saw things in the heavenly places that you and I haven't seen, but it had a profound effect on his life. But he said this, Since then we know what is the fear of the Lord, 
we try to persuade others. And so my question to you today, do you know what it is to fear the Lord? Do you know what it is to fear the Lord? Because he said, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others. If you were going in a, a, in a car and drove around and, and, and uh, there's been a big subsidence, you'd stop. <laughs> you'd stop the car and stop anybody going around in case they encountered the challenge. I encountered the fear of the Lord um, in a profound way once. It was when I, it's in the most unusual context. Um, Sue and I were, were engaged and um, madly in love. And it could have got out of hand. You know what I'm saying? Could have got out of hand. And I looked. Sorry, it's a bit embarrassing no, to I you. Don't know. No, you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked her in the eyes and she looked at me in that moment. And something happened. A, a light, a a beam of light came down between us. I went, whoa, what's that? And in that moment, I knew it was a fear of the Lord. We were to save ourselves from marriage. It was, it just, it was like eternity came between us and we dare not have sex before marriage because of the fear of the Lord. Because it was all the purity of light coming down. So because we know what it is to fear the Lord, we seek to persuade others. Now what is this fear of the Lord Paul was talking about? Well, you see it in verse 10 of this chapter. And I've, I've, I've done it around this way on purpose because he said this in verse 10. It proceeds, verse 11, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that, so that each one of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body whether good or bad and I've just asked about Billy this morning I said how's she doing and uh, you said she's doing great she knows where she's going she's sure she's certain she's going to heaven and she's going to get a reward we had the joy of being at Roy's funeral uh, on Tuesday in Norwich and there's that sense of um, mission accomplished. <laughs> it's not the end. It's all the coffin. There, he's, he's with Jesus. He's gone to receive his reward as a faithful soldier of Jesus Christ. But we will all... We, see, we don't talk about this, do we? <laughs> we don't talk about it. But we all will have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and Paul having seen he had, had a glimpse into eternity he said therefore we, we seek to persuade others <laughs> we seek to do it we seek because we've, we've seen it and I shared it with Sue and she said yep yeah, that's what brought me to know the Lord I went to hear, hear Billy Graham um, on live tr tr satellite at Maysome when she was 11. And she knew if she didn't accept Jesus Christ, she would go to hell. The fear of the Lord came upon her. 
as I said to you before, I've got a friend who got polio. Um, he was a cripple. And uh, another friend witnessed to him. He said, you, you need to, to repent because you're going to go to hell. Now, you know, it's not fire and brimstone away. I don't like hearing me say all this, but this is what she said. He said, well, he got so offended. How can a loving God allow me to go to hell when I've got polio? Do you know that sort of thought? But the Spirit of God convicted him of his sin and his attitude because that woman had the courage to present him the fear of the Lord. He repented of his sins, got filled with the Holy Spirit and serving God. Now, I'm not saying we go around with that, with that word, unless you repent, you, you know, turn or burn. But what I'm saying is, your neighbour and my neighbour will have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Therefore, it has implications for us because if we love our neighbour as ourselves, it should impact how we pray. You see, there will be a, a day of reckoning for your neighbour. And you might say, jolly good, because she's a beast. She deserves a day of reckoning. What they've done, throwing dog poo over the fence, all sorts of stuff. Yes, it's about time they got their comeuppance. That's not the attitude we should have. The Bible says we should love our neighbours as ourselves. So his personal response to this encounter, Paul, with fearing the Lord, since we know this, what it is to fear him, because he holds a key of life and death in his hands, we try to persuade others. And perhaps one of the difficulties we have in to, to share our faith with others is that we do not know this fear. We do not think about it. Because we're into grace. We love grace. With the grace of God, we've been saved. But we've been saved for this from that. <laughs> the Greek word for, per, for persuasion is pietho. I always like to give you a little Greek. And this English word for persuasion sounds like a, a used car salesman stereotype of evangelism is what can I, how can I get you to buy into Christianity today? That's not what this Greek word means. Pietho, it means a, something totally different. It means to gently win someone over to, to lovingly convince them through our compassion. We speak truth saturated in gentleness and drenched with respect. That's what it means. So knowing the fear of the Lord, we seek to win others for him, to persuade with our lives, but and words and our compassion and our kindness. When my neighbour stands before the judgment seat of Christ, and he surely will, my prayer has to be, Lord, this is how I pray, cause opportunities to arise when and where I can share with them in such a way that they have every opportunity to respond to you. If we take this seriously, knowing what it is to fear the Lord and to love them. In Colossians 
4, verse 2 to 4, Paul writes to this church at Colossae, he said this, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us also that God may open a door to our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So Paul understood the spiritual dynamics here that for, the, for, for people to come to know Christ, there has to be an encounter with God through the power of the Spirit and the gospel is shared. And you do that by praying for opportunities to share and the people may encounter that moment, that moment, that moment. You pray for the moment. Pray for the moment, that opportunity. Because we're called to love our neighbours as ourselves. So he continues in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 5, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Have you ever been compelled by love in this way for the concern of other souls? I'm having to do some repenting at the moment in this area. Because when I, when I read this, I'm thinking, God, I, I've got somewhere to go. But I'm determined, I'm determined to have Christ's compassion in me, not just to sing about it or to preach about it, but to actually let it influence me. So it affects me to pray for opportunities given to me. So verse 16, from now on we, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and he gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them, he has committed to us this message. It's committed to you. Whether you're working on a building site or in the office, talking to your neighbours, you've, you've been given that ministry of reconciliation. You are an ambassador for him. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal, appeal through us. They've got almost God living next door to them in you. <laughs> and God wants to appeal to them through you. And Paul concludes, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. How's your relationship with God? Have you thought about eternity? What do you think happened when you die? These are surely questions that uh, we could ask people. So praying for our neighbours is exercising the most profound aspect of ministry of reconciliation given to us 
by the Holy Spirit. If you were to turn to Acts 18, I was prepping for this, and sometimes it happened, the Bible just fell out, at, uh, it just opened up at this point, and I thought, oh, okay, um, this, is worth a, this is worth a look. And it, it's where, if you look at it, it's when Paul left, it's verse 1, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. So this is, hey, what was happening? And I have to jump right down to verse 5. Um, I'll read it all. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila and a native, a native of Pontius, recent com- come from, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave the Rome. That is historically correct. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, um, he stayed with them and worked there, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. That word persuade again. Right? Who'd like to be able to learn to persuade others? It's got to be. Thanks, David. I see a nod there. But look at this, verse 5. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews and that Jesus that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed him and reviled him, he shook off the garments from them and he said, your blood be upon your own heads. That, there comes a point. You've done what you can. Yeah? Only God can bring a person to Christ, as we'll look at in a moment. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And where did he go? And he left there and went to the house next door <laughs> to a man named Titus, just as a worshipper of God, his house was next door to the synagogue. <laughs> next door, not wonderful. He goes from the synagogue next door because I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to speak to somebody whose whose heart's open because he was a worshipper of God, but he didn't know Jesus. You might have some good God-fearing people next to you, but they don't know Jesus. That's what Paul did. He modelled what he, he didn't talk just talk about this. He actually modelled it in real life. We've got to model it. Got some dear friends sitting here who, when we moved to our close, um, we prayed for four years for every neighbour in our close, and after four years, nothing happened. And I said to Sarah, I'm, I'm, it's not working, I'm not going to do so I'm going to stop praying. And she said to me, Don't be a wuss, carry on praying. <laughs> we carried on praying, and our, our dear friends, Ian and Terry, came to know Jesus with Ruben and Sophia. That's just one couple. But that couple's touching other people's lives. He's given us this ministry of reconciliation in prayer. So, how do we pray for our neighbours? It's exercising a most profound aspect of ministry of reconciliation given us to each one of us by the Holy Spirit. You are not only ambassadors, you, you've been called to be something else. It says you are a priest. You are a priest to God. That means you can intercede to God for neighbours. And I'm challenging you this morning to give yourself in prayer to, for your neighbours. I'm currently using this helpful acronym called BLESS. Right? We want to bless our neighbours. Be is attentive. Be attentive to what's happening 
in your neighbour's lives without being nosy. No need to put a wine glass against the wall to find out what's happening. Just become friends with them. You know, rejoice with them when there's something to celebrate. And weep with them when there's something to weep. Be attentive to their needs. Celebrate, thank and mourn. Secondly, listen. Listen to the things going on in their lives so that we might be able to pray effectively for them. So you've got a, an indicator, a handle. Okay, we will pray for that. Family has somebody who's, uh, who's um, a baby's come along and it wasn't expected. Pray into that for them. There's an opportunity there. Celebrate with people. Mourn with people when you see there's an ambulance outside. It's an opportunity because you care. It's not being, this is not nosy neighbours. This is because we care and we want them to be loved by Jesus. Thirdly, for E, everyone needs prayer, including all your neighbours. In Ephesians 1.18, Paul was um, praying for the church, but I think it's a great prayer. Um, he said, pray that God would give, I pray that God would give you a spirit of revelation. Because to come out from idol worship, you need a spirit of revelation. This isn't satisfying me. Yeah, this is, this, this, I'm giving my life to something that is just futile. Because no matter how big your car is, and how many TSIs and TVGs, whatever you've got, on the, on the bumper, on the, on, the, on the boot lid, it will not satisfy. Only God can satisfy. Pray for a spirit of revelation. It's wonderful to, um, to read Roy Hibben's testimony um, that, he, that was put on his um, order of service at the back. Last week. It's a super thing. I'll leave that in the coffee area for people. Somebody had the courage to go and visit him and tell him about Jesus. That somebody else would give him a simpler book, say, Would you like to read that? And how we've been blessed because somebody else was obedient because of Roy's life. S is for salvation. And this is, you need to understand, after all I've said, only God can cause a person to be saved. We, we can't, we're not responsible for people's responses. God's calling us to love our neighbours as ourselves. Yeah? Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, the wind, the wind of the Holy Spirit blows where it wants to. You might be praying for number 15 and number 4 get saved. <laughs> but we know that God's on the move. So we align ourselves with that. And finally, Acts 17, verse 26, when Paul's speaking to the church in Athens, he... Um, he said, um, no, to, to the people of Athens, he says, God determines exactly the places where we live. Now, be at peace with that. Don't try to be somewhere else. Be at peace where God has called you. Because if you live in peace with where you are, God can move you on at the right time. But live in peace, not frustration, because you will then minister peace to others. Yeah? So this is, for us, a high calling indeed. And my prayer for you is that you will 
journey with Sue and I in discovering this riches, what we are called to do as ambassadors and priests of God. Amen.